Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Matthew 22:36-40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind." This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is is very much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. If you were to choose one band to be the soundtrack of your life, who would you choose? I want you to think about that right now. The band. And it helps if you choose a great time in your life and that band or that musician just kind of, they're the one. So uh, it was my son's birthday this past week, so my wife had an amazing idea because he's an old soul, loves music. So we went up to uh, the Grammy Museum in L.A., which I'd never been to, and I thought, oh, L.A., but the Grammy Museum is amazing. So we go in, and, and I won't tell you all the details of it because I don't want to ruin it for you, but we go to this one screen where they show the the Grammys, the highlights from 1980 to 2016. And we're sitting there and we're watching this and I'm sitting there with my old soul son who knows all these bands and he's pointing them out and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm older than you, I got this. So we're watching them all and then my, the rest of the, our crew, his buddies and, and uh, siblings come up and uh, yeah, Zeke, I'm calling you out right now. I'm calling you out, here it comes. So the screen pops up and this guy's up there playing and, and Zeke goes, who's that? And I look over, I'm like, what kind of father have I been? And then my other son looks at me and goes, what? You don't know who that is? That's Sting. That's the police. I was like, oh, it's on. The whole drive home, it's just police (laughs) 24-7. Because for me, that's the soundtrack of my life. That's, That's like a key time in my life and a time where I hear that music and it's actually happy thoughts and joy. And that's what music can do, right? Like, Music has that power, and it can kind of ring into your soul. Yet, as beautiful as music is, it is nothing compared to God's Word. And God's Word was meant to be the soundtrack of our life, to be that which we turn to, which comes in the good times and the bad. I can think of all these police songs that I can sing word for word for word, and they represent different things to me. And there's other musicians and other songs that have carried me through great times and difficult times. Um, But God's word, God himself was meant to take that place. And that doesn't mean music's not beautiful. God created it. But do you know God's word? Is it in your heart? Have you got it memorized, right? Like you could just bust out a police song right now and I'll sing it right there along with you. Boom, it's on. Beatles, let's go. Dylan, eh, half half of it. The point is, is if we were to share God's word with you, would you have it written in your heart? Do you have it memorized? So this series we're going through, your verse, we're pretty much going to do the whole summer. Twelve weeks, and we've chosen a bunch of verses that are just key verses to put down deep. The kind of music that you want to sit in your heart. Because God's word is powerful. This is why we're doing it. Look at this verse right here. 
For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That sounds like surgery, right? Because that's what God's word does. But if you have to have surgery, you're not really excited about it, but if you're going to get it, it's because you need it. Have you ever had surgery before? I remember when I broke my wrist and it was all just mangly and just hanging there. And then once they did the surgery, as, as much as I didn't want to go through it, I'm like, oh, that is so much better. God's word, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but imagine a double-edged sword without the handle. So you can't wield it like it's a weapon to attack other people with, oh, really? You shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. And you should be doing that. That's not what it's meant for. It, God's word is a double-edged sword with no cushy little handle with the grips. So when you hold it, you're getting cut by it as well. But in a good way, in a surgical way, in a healing way. It's like if, you're, if, if your shoulder is out of joint, if you've ever had that happen, my, my roommate in college, would, he was a swimmer, and this would happen to him all the time. And so he'd be the guy that would come up like Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon and just go, ah, wham, and then hit the wall and like put it back in place. And he's like, oh, it feels so much better. I'm like, are you kidding me? It looked so brutal. And that's what God's word can do to us sometimes where it's like, oh, do I really want to hear what God wants to tell me? Because things may have to change. But when they change, they change for the best. It also says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When it says that all scripture is God-breathed, another way to look at that is, as you're reading God's word, God will breathe, which means he will speak through anything that you read in his word. Think about that. God is able to speak through anything in his word to you. And it's useful for these four things. This is a scripture that I have to have memorized because for me, this is one of those songs in the soundtrack of my life that I want to make sure I remember that all scripture is God-breathed, that it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And why would you teach? Because there's some ignorance, right? So God's word will come in where there's ignorance. It's also for um, rebuke. Well, rebuke, what's wrong with the rebuke? Well, that means that there needs to be, well, we're misguided. Um, for correction, um, that means that something's off. For training in righteousness, which means it's for those who are hungry to do what is right. And God's word will provide that. So what we're going to do is, is, is each week we're going to have a verse that will be memorized. Megan Moe, the queen of all that is calligraphy, made one. Uh, she formatted it, and um, so the ushers, the ushers, are, we're, you're busy today. You, you're just getting ready. Oh, no, it's, it, you're back up because we have these verses, and we didn't want to put them on the seat, and then you sit on them, and they just sit there, and then so um, they're going to pass every one of you the verse for this week, and the verse for this week is the granddaddy of all the verses. This is, if you're going to memorize one passage, this is the one, but hopefully you'll memorize all 12. This is... Um, the great commandment. But to set up the great commandment, we want to go here, the very first part of it, Matthew 22, verse 36. 
And you need to know some background to what's happening here because it helps to understand. So there are these two religious parties. So you know how you have political parties? We have two main ones here in the United States. We'll just choose the United States instead of other countries. But we have two main ones, Republicans and Democrats. In the Jewish uh, church at that time, they had two main groups. There were other ones, but these were the two main ones, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they really didn't get along, and they disagreed on everything. But they agreed on one thing. They wanted to get rid of this Jesus guy. And so they would test him. They would try to do something to see if they could throw him off to where other people would turn against him, if he would say something that was politically incorrect. And so just leading up to this question, uh, the Pharisees step in first, and they, they, they walk away, like, oh, we're just walking away. We're not going to be around. They leave, and then their students come in, and they act like they're trying to learn from Jesus, and they ask him about taxes. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Like, trying to see if they can trick him. And so he answers that, and they're like, wow, that was really impressive. So then they walk away. Then the Sadducees go, oh, look, the Pharisees just got smoked. It's our turn. And so they walk in. So the Sadducees come in, <clears throat> and they ask about marriage after resurrection. So they talk about this woman who's been married seven times, and she marries seven different brothers, because that's what the law says, that uh, if the oldest brother passes away, then the, the next brother who's not married needs to marry her so she's not alone. So they make up this random story about seven different sons, and they all end up dying, and so she's married them all, and they ask, which one will she be married to in heaven? Now, we know that they're testing. We know they're trying to trap him because the Sadducees don't even believe in resurrection. So why are they asking this question? Because they want to trap him. They're hoping that he'll say something that's inappropriate, something that's going to bum somebody out or leave something out that someone else thinks should be included because they want to separate him from everyone else. They think that he's like everybody else, that he wants to please people. But that's not how Jesus is, is he? So then a Pharisee comes in because he smokes him in that question as well because he says, look, you're not going to be married in heaven. That's not the way it works. So then he, the Pharisees come back and they try again and they send one of their lawyers, the, like the, the master of the law. And so he comes and asks this question. So all of that has happened leading up to this. And this lawyer, this Pharisee lawyer, scribe, says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this incident is also mentioned in another book, another account, another narrative, uh, Mark. And in Mark, as he's asking this question, he says, Teacher, which is higher? So it's a different way to say the same thing because they would say, um, or instead of higher, another way to say is heavier. Which one is heavier? What's the heaviest commandment in all of the law? What is the mega? Like the greatest means the mega. What is the most important thing in the law? Above all, what should we know? And then Jesus answers with this verse that you have that we want you to memorize. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the mega commandment, the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, they're trying to trap him because like, what of all that's in the scriptures, what's he going to include and what's he going to take out? To help this make sense, to think of the passion by which people hold on to these religious tenets. Well, what about this? Think of your closet. 
Now think that you gave me permission to come into your closet right now, but you're not around, okay? And I just get to choose what you get to keep and what gets to go. You're probably not going to be very happy about that, are you? That happened to me recently, where people went into my closet and started trying to pull stuff out, pull something, and, and it got to the point where it was actually kind of nice. There was some stuff that I thought should have stayed, but it's that idea of what's happening here. Jesus, if we were to keep anything in the closet, what is the most important thing to keep in the closet, and what do you get rid of? How many of you have a life that is just too cluttered? And I'm not talking about your closet, right? I'm talking about your life. So if you haven't figured out yet, closet, metaphor for life. <laughs> and that's kind of what Jesus is being approached with right here. If all of life, what is the most important thing? What should we keep in the closet? Because there's things that do have to go because things get too cluttered. It saddens me, and I've held on to this. We cleaned out the closet. I got rid of a lot of things, but there was one thing I was holding on to. And um, I've gotten the cliff notes uh, from the book of, you know, tidying up, the beauty of tidying up. And um, this was the last thing to go. And so here it is. Yeah, don't mock it because, and I didn't realize this until this week when I was thinking about it. This, Drew Bray, who was leading worship today, this was actually his. And I bought it because it's a rock star's jacket, right? So um, he was, we were raising money for Malawi to send uh, some people to Malawi and some work that was being done there. And um, I saw this jacket, Greg McLaughlin bought it, brought it, I mean, and then when I saw it, I went, oh, I'm buying this. And so I've kept it in my closet, and I wear it like twice a year because, well, come on, it's a rock star's jacket. (laughs) So I've been wearing this, but there comes a time where you realize you just have too much. I just look at all these jackets lined up, and I'm like, this is too much. So if you, does anybody really love this jacket? Did anybody just freak out seeing this? Okay. Um, Tom, can you take this back to hairspray in the back? Sorry. You waited too long. You waited too long. You got to be quick. So now you have the opportunity right now in your life, though, to do this. This Sunday, this morning, I'm hoping that you'll consider cleaning out your life and letting God decide what goes in there. Because this is the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing in this commandment is he's he's asking us to basically not only clean out your entire closet, but to restructure your closet. To be built around this So your whole closet is being built around these garments, loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you you see the word love, it's not just feelings. There are affections included in there, but how can you be commanded to feel love for God? Okay, so that's not really what's being asked here. Um, Love, it's, there's affection and there's feeling as you get in relationship with God, to love God means to know him, but also tied with that is obedience. They go together. And that is the same in terms of loving our neighbors ourselves. And when it talks about loving God, well, of our heart, our soul, and our mind, we as Westerners, 
We're like the Greeks. We like to compartmentalize. And so you're like, okay, well, am I loving him with my heart? Let me examine the heart part, and then I'm going to go over here with my soul. I don't really know how to love God with my soul, so we'll get to that one later. My mind, no, that's not how this would, the Hebrews would not separate them out. To say with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and in Mark it says uh, with your strength, is another way to say with all of who you are. You can't separate yourself out. You give God all of yourself. Your whole being, because you can't be separated out. So to love God means to do it with everything that you are. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these passages, he's pulling from the Old Testament. So there are two different ones. This one, which is part of the Shema. We talked about memorizing these verses. They would have this thing they called the Shema, which this was part of it, um, and they would repeat it twice a day. In fact, they wouldn't just repeat it. They would write it on their doorpost. So if you came to your doorpost, the Shema would be right there on all three um, sides of your door. And then um, also they'd have these phylacteries, which are they're like little boxes to be on your forehead. So imagine you've got a nightlight and you're camping and you got that thing. They'd walk around with this. So they'd walk around, the pious Jews would walk around, and they'd have that verse rolled up in there. And so... This passage was part of the Shema, and so they had it on their doorposts and on their foreheads because they wanted to keep God's word close. So he's not just pulling this out of anywhere. He's pulling this out of Scripture. And then he pulls this other commandment, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's taking these two passages and he put them together. He says, this is everything. This is your closet. This is what you start with. Anything else is peripheral. This is what matters. This is the greatest. That should be freeing to you. Sometimes we have this idea we have to do all of these things as a person following Christ. And maybe you just need to simplify and come back to the basics and clean some of the stuff out of your closet. Some of the rock star jackets need to go so that you can leave what really matters in there. And and as I look at this, we need to understand they are commandments. So they're not suggestions. They're not good ideas. This is the greatest commandment. But yet, as Jesus is presenting this, you need to, to realize that it's different than you have to do this. He's calling us to choose to do this. Do you see the difference? Think about this next week coming up and how much do you feel like you have to do and it's kind of weighing you down right now, right? I have to do this. I just checked on the computer this morning. Uh, I forgot to call in. So, uh, oh, I better, I better go online because it says I have an online option and we all know that's a lot easier than calling. So I tried the online option and it said, yes, you must report to jury duty on Monday. So if you were planning on seeing me Monday, I'll see you in Newport at the courthouse. I got jury duty. I have to do that. Right? That's not what this is. That's not what the greatest commandment is. The greatest commandment, it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment, but it's something that we need to choose to do. It's not placed outside of us, but it's something that we choose to do because we know it's what we were made for. Do you know that? Do you know that you were made for this? 
Or is it one of those things you put on yourself, oh, that's right, I have to do this because I'm gonna follow Jesus or I have to do this or I should do this. No, no, there's a difference. You need to move from I have to to I choose to. Because as Charlotte was sharing, it's a choice. You need to be a cheerful giver of your life, handing it over to God because you trust him, because you believe that he knows what he's talking about. And it says here that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that mean? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Because he busts this greatest commandment out and he's saying, look, everything else that you think is important, it hangs like a hanger on that little, what's the, what are those things called? Closet pole. Really? Is that simple? I thought it had like a more fancy name. Just closet pole. All right. Everything that you think you have to do or should do, hopefully you're choosing to do, it hangs on those two commandments. That should simplify. That should help you to focus. Think about these Pharisees and the Sadducees who came up dealing with all these peripheral issues. Yeah, well, what about resurrection? And what about this? And what about that? And, what, and, and I could go through all the other ways they tried to trap them even earlier than that. Because they get caught up in all these peripheral issues, all these trending topics that they're fighting about and arguing about. And Jesus is saying, look, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbors. It, it comes back to the simplicity of love. The simplicity of taking your life and handing it over to God and handing it over to others. That's it. Everything underneath that, if it fits there, then it fits. If it doesn't fit there, then it doesn't hang in the closet and it needs to go. This is our passion. And this is something that we're just, let's be honest here, we're really not getting down. We're really not accomplishing this very well. It says here in Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others would do, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I love the power of that. If I could take it right now and take that word is, this is the law and the prophets, I would take is and I would make it font 60. Because he's saying this is the law. This is the closet. This is everything hangs on this. Remember they came saying what's the greatest commandment in the law? which is the first five books of the Old Testament. But he says, this is the law and the prophets, which means all, basically the entire Old Testament scriptures. He says, everything is summed up in this. Don't get, don't get lost. Are you getting lost in all of the details? Well, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I be doing this? What about this? What about this? And it just seems so confusing and so complicated. As a church leadership, we get we get called out all the time. Why aren't you making this a big issue? Why aren't you fighting this? Why aren't you fighting for that? Because we're not doing this very well. And if it doesn't hang on this, we don't have time for it. Because we're trying to get this right. This is our focus. If you think back to what was trending at their time, at the time of the prophets, resurrection, uh, taxes, uh, the afterlife, angels and demons, those are the things they would fight about in their church. Here are the trending topics today, 2017. The big things that come up in our country, in our church, here are some of the highlights. Um, Russia, coming up all the time. Supreme Court, healthcare, the LGBT issue, teens, abortion, 
Pope Francis, ISIS, all kinds of issues that people are fighting about and arguing about nonstop. Well, the church should be doing it, and we should be, and you should be. What? Do you have this down? When I think of that closet of all of those issues, it wears me out. Because I, I didn't even know what a closet pole was. And most of us don't even have this commandment down. Are you loving God with all of who you are? And are you loving your neighbor as yourself? We need to simplify. We need to be able to focus. Because that's how God has designed us. He knows we ain't that smart. He knows we can't find our keys. He knows that we lose all of our Wi-Fi passwords and our bank passwords. He understands that, so things need to be simplified. Have you heard of the book Essentialism? It's a great book, but basically it's one of many books that says the same thing. You need to focus. You need to keep your eyes centered. Jesus said it way before Essentialism. This is the greatest commandment, to be focused. If I were to ask you, if you could invest in any company over the past 40 years, and you could go back in time and you were given $50,000, what would you invest in? Most of you are going to say Apple, IBM, right? Actually, if you'd invested, this is from Essentialism, if you invested in Southwest Airlines, you would have made more than those or IBM. Southwest Airlines. Like, I remember when I was like, ooh, I don't have to fly Southwest Airlines. I get to step it up. Because Southwest Airlines kept it simple. They cleared out the closet and they said, this is all we're going to do. You got no first class. You get no food on here. Okay, sure, we'll give you a drink and some nuts. That's it. Uh, Assigned seats, nope. Good luck. (laughs) And we're not going international. So Southwest blew it up. And so all the other airlines saw what they were doing. They're like, oh my gosh, we got to jump on this train. So Continental Airlines, ever heard of them? Yeah, they ain't around anymore though, are they? So they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start Continental Light. We're basically going to copy everything Southwestern does, but we still want to keep our other stuff. So they kept Continental Airlines, and they they tried to do it both. They tried to have everything else and tried to do it all instead of focusing. If they just focus on Continental Light, maybe they'd still exist. Maybe they wouldn't have been absorbed by United and bought out. But they tried to keep it going. They didn't want to keep with what was essential. They didn't want to focus on what was vital, and they brought in the peripheral. But, oh, we don't want to let go of this, and so they kept it, and by keeping it, they lost everything. Simplify your lives. Jesus, what he calls us to is so simple. Matthew 11, one of the verses that we're not memorizing, but it's so good. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone here weary and burdened? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because my yoke, or what I require is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you're burdened and you're overweight, you're carrying something that doesn't belong to you and God never required you to carry. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Simplify. It's time to clear some stuff out, especially expectations, things that you think you're supposed to be doing. But I'm failing at this. I should be doing that. Focus on loving the Lord your God with all of who you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. One of the things that um, we as a leadership team talk about in trying to stay focused 
um, is this scripture and a few other ones that, I mean, they all point in the same direction. All of God's word points in this direction. And one of the things that we pulled from outside was what um, Billy Graham said. And we talk about this all the time um, because we need to be reminded. We need to be focused. We need to be centered. And so Billy Graham was at this political rally. Um, he just showed up. He wasn't really rallying, but uh, this particular person had made some huge mistakes politically and morally. And so Billy Graham shows up, and they, the, this is back in the day, so they show up with their little tape recorders, no phones at that time. They show up with their tape recorders and their little pads of paper going, oh, we got to ask Billy Graham what he's doing here. We got to trap him. We got to trick him. So they come up and, hey, why are you here? You know what he's done. Why are you here? Why are you supporting him? And this is what he said. And this is so appropriate. He says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. How freeing is that to know that it's not your responsibility to convict or to judge? That should just be lifted off of your shoulders and floating away, and you should be so much lighter. And let's face it, who doesn't want to be lighter? Mother Teresa said it this way. You can never have a good Sunday morning without a Mother Teresa quote. She said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. I want to stop just for a second to say that we as the church get caught up in so much of the peripherals that we don't show up to the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. She goes on and she says, there are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. If you go to our website, we put it there front and center. This is, we, we stole this from my good friend Buzzy. He wrote this out, and I thought it was so perfect that I wanted it to just sit there. So anyone that goes to our website knows, what's this church about? This is what we're about. We embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground, in the hope that they will find holy ground. That is our job, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything hangs on that. Now, that doesn't mean, as some ethicists would say, well, then all you need is love. That's all that matters, bro. That's all. No, there's more to it. But that's the main thing, and that's what we hold on to, and that's what we're responsible for. Jesus has given us all kinds of other teachings and guidance, but we need to major on the majors. And until we get that down, we don't have the opportunity to move on. We get people emailing and texting us and calling us and saying, what do we think about this? What do we think about that? And what about this? And what about that? And we say, go to our website. We'll, we'll tell it to you. The, the, the Apostles' Creed. The basics of the faith. Yeah, but what about, I go, look, we don't even have this down. So we're focusing on this. The other issues, we have opinions. But this is what's essential. 
And this is what we want to major on. It's not because the other things aren't important. It's because this is what we're going to focus on. This is what we're going to pour our lives into. And I'll close with this. Uh, last couple weeks ago, I wasn't here. I was invited. Um, my buddy Norty, who always comes and teaches here, or Dr. Norton, as people like to call him, he uh, asked me to come speak with him at his church. And they've been praying for us and doing, I mean, they've just been an amazing sister church to us. So we went over there and we stood up together and, and um, talked about uh, the whole experience I had with a lung transplant and, and dying and all of that. And afterwards, this lady came up and she said, you're a classic example of NDE. And I'm like thinking in my head, NDE, I don't know what this acronym means. So I, and she just looked at me like I was supposed to know. I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she said, you know, NDE, near-death experience. She goes, I'm a psychotherapist. That's my focus. And I've traveled around interviewing people, and I'm part of this group, and we study people that are basically went through what you went through, and you're a classic example. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, when you described when, when your closet was cleaned out and all that was left, this is what she said. She said, when we meet with people, the two things that are always left are mercy and compassion. And all of those people that are near death that come back say that's all that matters is our mercy and compassion towards others. Which is basically saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're called to. That's who we are. And if you get caught up in the other stuff, you're going to lose your way and you're probably going to help someone else lose their way. So keep the main thing the main thing. Let's stay in our lane. And let's focus on what Christ said is the greatest, the mega. So I want to invite us to stand and pray because we need it. Invite the worship team up. They're going to lead us in prayer because we need that too. Father God, I'm intimidated every time I come up to share your word because I'm afraid of what I'm including and what I'm leaving out and and I can't control what's going on in people's heads. And I don't know what people are hearing, but I want them to hear from you, Lord, because that's all that matters. So I pray that the messenger gets out of the way and that they hear from you and only you. We pray as a people, Lord, that uh, you would guide us in this call. As we try to memorize this verse, your word. Lord, may your word be the soundtrack. May you be the writer. We want to surrender to you. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. We do all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I had a memory. Um, I was about 11 years old, and I was listening to a book talking about closets. And it was a summer day. I came in from playing outside, sweaty, hot, just being a kid at 11. And my mom says to me, your dad's gone. He took his stuff and he's gone. And I looked back to the closet and it was empty. Um, you fast forward about 15 years. And I'm looking at an empty closet again, only this time it's mine. 
and it's my marriage. 25, empty closet. How can I be here? I told myself I wouldn't do this. This would not be the same. I would not have the same marriage. Now, I did not grow up with a faith. I didn't grow up um, with this freedom here. And in that time of an empty closet in our marriage, Christ found me. He's there the whole time. And that's where my faith came in. And the one thing that we put back in my empty closet was this verse. We kept it simple. We went back down to basics. Sometimes we get stripped of things that we find comfort in, and sometimes it's in um, hurt, and sometimes it's in damaging things and addiction in ways that we comfort ourselves and thinking these are things we need. But when it gets stripped away uh, in the barest and simplest forms, in an NDE even, and you remember what is left, um, it's these things. So I thank Boog for the message, and I thank, for, thank God for these next 12 weeks and, and how we will remember how to start from the beginning and what is important. So invest. Invest in knowing. Invest in knowing what you have as those few things that hang in your closet, the things that matter, because the rest kind of doesn't in the end. Join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for the way that you create new things. You use things, and you never let things go to waste. So we thank you for the opportunity to be able to um, trust you, to thank you. And even in the transition times of um, hurt and unknowing, we know that you change things and that you are in the transitions. So we thank you for that. I also lift up our kids' ministries and our um, leaders that are heading off uh, to Forest Home today. We pray for the kids. We pray for all of the campers and those that are learning to fill their young hearts with what matters. So we pray that messages will be heard, that hearts will be open, and that they will be filled with things um, that matter, Lord, that are of you. So we thank you. We are grateful for your provision. And the way that you love us in every part of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.